First letter of John, chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what, and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Ooh. Good to be here. Um, let me start by saying um, how thankful I am for your support as a church. Um, I lead an organization called InnoVista, and we train young people who have a vision to see the kingdom of God come in their communities, many of which are struggling with all kinds of poverty, um, many of which have no church. We love pioneers. We absolutely love pioneers. And we get alongside young people who have a God-given vision and we train them, we help them build teams, we help them develop um, their approaches to local mission so that people come to faith uh, and the church grows. Uh, and we do it all over the place, from Ireland, uh, I was in Dublin a few weeks ago, to places like Tajikistan. Um, great story from Tajikistan recently. Um, there's a guy there who became a Christian in prison and uh, from a Muslim background came to faith, had a vision of Jesus. And this guy um, became a Christian and basically planted a church in prison. Uh, And he's since been released. And he now has a vision for a nationwide prison ministry in Tajikistan. And he came to Baha, who's our one Tajik member of staff, uh, and asked for help. So Baha's mentoring this guy as he's trying to develop prison ministry in Tajikistan. Um, And I get like, I get paid to help these people. It's wild. So thanks so much for your support. Um, somewhere I visited last year for the first time was the country of Moldova. Um, anyone been to Moldova? No one. Okay, we need to change that. I can help. Um, more on that later. Um, uh, you might know a little bit about Moldova. Anyone read Playing the Moldovans at Tennis? Conrad, the church warden has read the book. Excellent. So, um, Moldova, poorest country in Europe. Uh, Because it's so poor, it's the sort of European hub for child trafficking. The borders are so poorly maintained that the trafficking gangs target Moldova and bring women and girls especially in and out of Europe um, as part of the the so-called sex trade. When I went there last year... Uh, to work with an organization that's trying to tackle child trafficking. 
uh, didn't know a lot about it, didn't know that um, Moldova occasionally has earthquakes. So the first night in Kishnau, the capital, I woke up at 3 a.m. with the building shaking. And uh, I jumped out of bed, moved into the sort of living room of the apartment we were staying in. The guy I was with, who was from Norway, he's a Lutheran from Norway, um, came in sort of half asleep and went, well, if we die, we're going to be with God. So let's go back to bed. And he went back to bed. <laughs> so yeah, the Lutherans are more spiritual than us. Um, next day, we went, to, uh, we went to a village. Now in Moldova, a village is not picturesque little English village. Uh, a village is thousands of people um, with very little basic services, uh, virtually no roads, virtually no health care, virtually nothing. And we went to a village a couple of hours from Kishnau uh, and met amazing, amazing pastor and his little church. We rocked up at this, this building, which was sort of mostly finished, but not quite, went inside and we were fed this amazing meal. I mean, incredible. There were, there were like five of us. I mean, look at this. Amazing food, phenomenal generosity. Uh, and this pastor started sharing stories about what their church are doing in the village. One of the things they do is they have a, a, a feed center uh, for local people who can't afford food. The lady here with the red cap, the pastor told her story. Uh, she was attacked. She's, ment- she's mentally ill, long-term mentally ill. Um, she was attacked in her own home by a man in, her si- in his 60s, and as a result, she became pregnant. And when the baby was born, the local authorities tried to take the baby away, and the church got around her and said, we're going to help you keep and raise your child. And they did. And later that day, I met this seven-year-old girl as she came running down the street home from school. She ran up to her mum, put her arms around her. The church in action. This little church. After this, the pastor stood up and said, okay, we're going out. And he split us into little teams and we went off round the village. Uh, I was with two of the Moldovans. We went past this house. Now, I looked at this and thought, we're not going in there. Surely no one lives in there. I carried on walking down the street, turned around. The other two had gone into the house. Turned out there were two elderly sisters living in this house. Both of them, long-term mentally ill. Turned out they'd both been sick for the last three days. I cannot describe to you what I saw. And what it smelled like. It was one of the most horrendous things I have ever seen. And this little group of Moldovan Christians cared for these two women. They fed them. They cleaned up. They arranged for them to have medicine. And it turned out that they have been doing this for years. On the way home from this trip in the car, you can probably imagine it was pretty quiet. Uh, me and a couple of Norwegians and our Moldovan hosts. And uh, after a while, the silence was broken with just a few words. And the words were this, so much love. So much love. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? There are lots of ways people are in need. Lack of food, lack of shelter, lack of clothing, lack of medical care. Sometimes people are trapped by a lack of power. Unable to change their situations and vulnerable to the abuse of people who have more power than them. The Bible talks about this a lot. Widows, orphans. What about those who are chronically ill? What about those who are isolated? And God says to us, love them. If you have stuff, wealth, food, clothes, use some of your stuff so that those who have less stuff will have more. The writing in John is basically a restatement of the Old Testament law. This is Deuteronomy 15, verse 7 to 8. This is what it says. If there is anyone among you in need, anyone in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them, towards your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand willingly, lending them enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. And of course, this is in a context where there was a system of of, of debts regularly being written off. So when when Scripture talks about lending in this context, a lot of the time it was effectively giving. And, And the people of God in the Old Testament were called by God to give generously to those in need. And the question, of course, is why? Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 and 6 says this. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The nations is kind of shorthand for people around Israel who didn't recognize the Lord God, who didn't follow Yahweh. And what what Deuteronomy describes is that as Israel cares for the poor around them, the nations around, the people around, will see what God is like and will recognize his wisdom and his truth. In other words, caring for the poor is part of the mission. It's not an add-on. It's not a nice-to-have. It is intrinsic to demonstrating and showing the nations what the God of all the earth is like. And as you will have spotted, it starts inside the community, but it doesn't start, stop there. Israel was commanded to care for strangers and aliens, those who are outside, those who are not of them. Why? Because everyone cares for their own. That's not difficult. That's not different. What I discovered in Moldova was that every village has social workers. Everyone. 
paid by the state to take care of people like those two old ladies. And you know what? They don't. They take care of their friends and their families, and most of the time it stops there because everyone takes care of their own. But in God's new community, it's different. In God's new community, in God's holy, not a holy huddle, but a holy counterculture, the poor should be cared for, whoever they are, inside the community and outside the community. Jesus came along and said, don't ask the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, figure out how to be a neighbor, especially, especially to those who are different to you, even your enemies. Choosing to have less so that those in need have more will help the world see Jesus. This is how Peter puts it, writing to the early church. Live such good lives among the pagans. That's like the New Testament equivalent of nations. Those who don't know God, live such good lives among them that they may see your good deeds, your actions, and glorify God on the day he visits us. And the early church lived this out. This is, um, this is the Roman Emperor Julian, the last Roman Emperor, who was very upset by the growth of the church. This is what he said. Do we not observe how the benevolence of Christians to strangers has done most to advance their cause. It is disgraceful. Imagine an emperor writing this. It is disgraceful that the Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. While everyone can see that our own people lack benevolence from us. That was the early church. In action. And now it's our turn. God is the same. And if we want to see the kingdom of God extended here and around the world, part of what we have to do is express our love in sacrificial care for the poor. Choosing to have less so that those in need have more will help the world see Jesus. Now you will have noticed in the passage there's a bit of a warning You notice it? The warning's basically this. Don't confuse talking about it with doing something about it. Now, I want to just propose to you a hypothetical situation. I want you to uh, imagine a group of people who live in a city where there are more published writers per square mile than anywhere else in the world. The city is recognized as a prestigious center of learning and debate. In fact, after one debate, uh, it got so heated that it turned into a riot, and some of the scholars from this city left that city and went to another city and founded another world-class university, which they now regularly beat at rowing. <clears throat> some of these people are part of a church. Many are experts in their field in education, government, business, healthcare, even theology. 
The church is known for its many groups and committees. In fact, there are so many that there's not enough room for everyone to sit. So they even have a committee called the Standing Committee. (laughs) Hypothetical, of course. But should such a group exist, let me ask you this question. What do you think the danger could be? To talk too much? Or to act too much? So let's get really practical. You're probably expecting me to talk about giving. And people get really, really nervous when missionaries start talking about giving. Um, So I'm not going to. But I do want to talk about our spending. So I don't know if you're like me, but um, I can be tempted to think, you know what, I've done my giving, and that bit's gone to God, and that's great, and I don't have to think about the other bit. Let's say 90%. That's my bit. That's the bit I get to keep, and I don't have to think about it. The challenge of this passage, partly, is to use all that we have, whether we give it or spend it, to contribute to the building of the kingdom, and particularly in the care for the poor. If you were here last year, you would have heard David Zack speak, Bishop David Zack. He said this, stunning, scary, awkward truth. Western economies are built on the backs of the poor. Like Pete said, it's really uncomfortable. How do we respond? I just want to talk about a few of the basics this morning. Uh, Jesus said, don't worry about food and clothes. I think if he was here, Jesus would say, actually, do worry about them. Do worry about how you buy your food and where you get your clothes from. Because you can do it in a way that lifts up the poor or pushes them down. And in, in our world today, where we have the, the, the internet and social media, we know more about this than any other generation. And we can do stuff to help. How do you spend your money? Do you spend your money consciously thinking about, about the poor? Do you consider how those who've made the food that you eat or the clothes that you wear have been treated? I think we have to. I'm sure some of you are thinking, okay, right, this is just a bit like over the top. I want to say I don't think it is. We can't claim we don't know. And we do have choice. We really do have choice. Um, Someone who's doing something very exciting about um, one of these issues is uh, Gordon's son, Andy. Uh, Where are you, Andy? Do you want to come up? This This is the most exciting thing, I think, in my humble opinion. This is the most exciting thing that has come out of Wheatley, Oxfordshire, ever. So, um... Do you want to get on there? So, Andy, um, you've just started a fashion label, apparently. Um, <laughs> Hard to believe, yeah. Tell, tell us why you've, why you've started this. So, uh, a year ago, uh, a year, as in last April, a year ago, 
Um, there's a factory in Bangladesh that collapsed. It's called Rana Plaza. Uh, and 1,130 people died in that factory. And they were making clothes for us here in the West. Uh, I had never really considered what Jason was just talking about before in terms of what clothes I buy from a perspective of how were the people treated. Uh, but that event shocked me and shocked a couple of my friends. So as a result of that, we uh, decided to see if it's possible to build a wardrobe from scratch containing only items that we know, uh, uh, of items that we know were made fairly. So we blogged about it, at who made my wardrobe, um, who made my wardrobe.com. Uh, and we gave away all of our clothes. We completely emptied our wardrobes. Uh, and we, I don't own many clothes now, so you might, might, if you see me around Oxford, I'll be wearing the same, pretty much the same thing. But uh, uh, yeah, no, we do have a number of items. Um, and it, yeah, it was a very exciting, exciting journey. Uh, yeah, and should I just carry, carry on? on? So as a result of that, uh, one of the things that people kept asking what, us was, well, how much is this costing? Like, not in terms of buying a whole new wardrobe, but in terms of each piece, each item, because items that, where people are paid fairly are going to cost more. So we wanted to see um, if it's possible to make clothes that are, many people would see as affordable and are made completely fairly. So that's why we're starting our own clothing label. Okay. Um, and tell us where you're at with that right now. Uh, we... Uh, right at the start, we're called Visible, Visible Clothing. Um, and the reason for the name is we want to make everything behind the clothes visible. Not, not our naked bodies, but everything that goes on before we get them. Um, and so we've done a, we started a crowdfunding campaign, which is for anyone who's unfamiliar with crowdfunding, it's a way of raising money to start a new enterprise such as this. Uh, and the crowdfunding campaign finishes on Wednesday, and we, when I left the house, we were at 99% of our target, which is great. Uh, and what that money will enable us to do is cover a lot of the costs already incurred, but also get our first production of T-shirts done. So in return for pledging, in return for donating money, people will get our first product, which is a T-shirt made in India. And a few weeks ago, I was over there visiting this supplier, meeting them, and, I mean, the contrast between... Uh, a factory where, which is at risk of collapsing and where people are not paid on time and where people are ill-treated. And uh, what Jason was just saying about the, the, the balance of power, um, where there is just no, no power amongst the general worker. Uh, the difference between that and this supplier that we found is incredibly stark. So we're excited about sharing some of the stories from that supplier in addition to providing good quality clothing at an affordable price. Fantastic. And if people wanted to buy T-shirts, how do they do it? Yeah. So if you go to uh, our website, is www.visible.clothing. This is our blog. There's a link from there as well. Um, there's no .com in that, nothing. Visible.clothing. I didn't even know that was possible. It is, it turns out. Uh, if you go there, there's a link to our crowdfunding campaign, so you could buy a T-shirt that way, or later on this week, our site will be fully operational uh, and again, there is, there'll be a, a couple of different T-shirts there with prints on and an opportunity to vote on what our next product will be. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So look, I think we should have an extra goal for Mission Week. I didn't ask the boss about this, but um, hey. Um, 
I, I think we should set a goal of uh, 100 t-shirts. So this isn't giving, you understand. We're going to do the giving thing. We're going to see this amazing project in Kenya up and running, fantastic. And let's buy a load of t-shirts. And I'm sure if you, if you want to, if you don't fancy getting online, have a word with Andy. I'm sure he'll take your orders. Let's see this thing get going. Andy's vision is amazing. He, the vision he describes is a clothing sector, a clothing sector where everyone is treated fairly. Isn't that worth buying a few t-shirts for? The answer is yes. Um, so see Andy afterwards if you want to, um, if you want to buy a t-shirt. Okay, last thing real quick. Let's talk about time. Let's talk about time. I think in many ways time is our most precious resource because we can't make more of it. And when it's gone, it's gone. Isaiah says, spend yourself on behalf of the poor. And I think in our day and in our culture in a, and in busy North Oxford, spending our time in many ways is harder than spending our money. So I have one simple question for you. What can you do in terms of your time if you're not already, and I know many of you are, but if you're not already, how can you use your time on behalf of those who have less than you? There are organizations all over Oxford who serve the poor locally, nationally, and internationally. And I meet their leaders regularly. And they tell me time and time again how they could do much, much more if people would give not only their money, but their time. And there are loads of opportunities to serve sort of face-to-face -face with people who are poor, who have less, but also to serve in support of those who are doing the face-to-face -face work, in administration, in marketing. And we have so much expertise here. Could you do something about that? Could you make a contribution with your time? What about your holidays? I, talk, I talked about this um, last time I was, uh, I was speaking here. Um, and someone uh, uh, took me aside afterwards and was very upset with me because you can't touch my holidays. Yes, I can. Um, Yala, one of the guys, the Norwegian Lutheran, the spiritual Norwegian Lutheran who I was in Moldova with, he took his nine-year-old daughter to Moldova. And they served together. And he told me afterwards, he said, it totally changed her life and changed our family's life. What about spending a family holiday serving somewhere else, serving people who have less than you? Easily done. Just needs a little bit of intention. Last question to finish. How does this happen? I mean, how, how do we sustain a life of sacrificial service on behalf of those who have less than we do. The clue is in verse 1 of chapter 3. This is what it says. How great, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And in the original language, um, John's actually getting a bit emotional. doesn't come across here, but he's, he's almost, you can see him jumping up and down going, we are children of God. We are, we are, that is what we are. And because we have experienced the love of God in Christ, because we know that we're loved, that love compels us, picks us up and moves us forward to serve those who have less than we, we do.
It's nothing to do with guilt. It is all to do with love. Because when you know that you're loved freely, completely, sacrificially, you are able to love others. I want you to imagine something as we finish. I want you to imagine that St. Andrew's is a church that is known here and around the world for something. And it's not known for what we're against. And it's not known for talking a lot. It is known for loving those who are in need. People we know. People who we can help. Kids who today are living on a rubbish tip in Kenya. Indian clothes factory workers. Villages in Moldova. People right here in Oxford. For the world to see Jesus. For the nations to see Jesus. Requires us. Out of love. To choose to have less. So that those in need have more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your amazing love for us. Thank you that you gave it all. Sacrificed it all for us. And our prayer is that out of out of experiencing that love. From knowing that love in practice, that that would drive us out in service of the poor, here and around the world. Knowing, knowing that as we care for those who have less, that people will see Jesus. People will see the brilliance of your kingdom. And we'll in turn choose to follow. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.